0: Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. Well, today we are beginning a uh, very important six-week adventure uh, in our journey together as a congregation. We're starting a series today called Next, and you will see uh, the slide on the screen uh, that sort of announces this for the next six weeks. I'm going to explain the details of some of the things we're going to do in this series in a moment. But I want to start uh, kind of where Stephanie left off. I want to start with the big picture. These six weeks are about our life together as a church, a little bit about where we have been. Stephanie did some of that already, and a lot about the future. And if you look at that slide and you look at that word next and you see that blue arrow in the X of the word next, it's pointing ahead into the future. So this is a six-week series where we want to think about and grapple with what is next for Oak Hills. What is out in front of us? What's the future going to be like? This is also an excellent opportunity to personalize next, meaning these six weeks are a good time for each of us to think about what is next for us in our own discipleship to Jesus. It's very easy to get lulled into complacency, and we'll talk a bit about that today. This is a good six-week stretch to be thinking about where might Jesus be inviting you to take another step. Stephanie talked about the journey of Oak Hills so far, our story. This past December marked our 34-year history as a congregation in this particular town. And as some of you know, lots of twists, lots of turns, challenges and celebrations over those 34 years. And lots of people who made huge sacrifices of time, energy, and money to carry this church forward. Some of those people have now passed away, and they are with Jesus. Some others have moved away, and some are still here. But in the midst of their own chaotic schedules and in the midst of their own busy lives, in the midst of raising their children, they had a vision for Hills that was bigger than the direct benefit they themselves would receive. Bigger than their era, we might say, at Hills, Bigger than their investment at Hills. And now here we are, standing on their shoulders, And these six weeks are a season for us to think about who we are and what's next for us and what the future might hold for us and how we can serve the generations that will follow us and carry Oak Hills into the future beyond our own era and beyond our own benefit. And so today we're reflecting a little bit about the journey so far, where we've come from. And there's a whole bunch we could say about the history of Oak Hills, but I want to focus on the exact same event Stephanie mentioned, this event that happened in the summer of 2000. That particular summer, as some of you know, the leadership of Oak Hills discerned God's guidance to drastically change the focus of this church. And we began to prioritize the idea of life in God's kingdom and the whole life transformation the Spirit of God wants to bring To those who cooperate with him. And in that summer and uh, since then. We've been enamored with this idea. Of Christ being formed in us. Formed in us individually. And formed in us as a community. And the new life that is now available. By trusting in him. And by following him. And some of you know the story. And some of you hope I don't go any further into the story. Because you're bored with it. And many of you don't know the story. But the summer of 2000 was a pivotal turning point in the history of this church. And nothing has been the same since. The process of changing direction, as some of you know, was painful. And yet here we are today, 18 and a half years later, still is committed to prioritizing life in God's kingdom and personal and communal transformation. And this is a major part of who we are as a faith community. But as we look toward the future five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now. We look to the time beyond some of us. The truth is we know very little about what is next for Oak Hills. Much of the future is wonderfully and magnificently uncertain and unclear and yet to be sorted out and yet to be planned. The future, in other words, is foggy. And one reason for the fog is something we've talked about many times. Drastic shifts have happened and continue to take place in our cultural context. One way to capture those drastic shifts is that the culture, for various reasons, continues to disconnect itself from the Christian story. And it's unclear how these shifts will impact the Big C Church and local expressions of it. For example, Oak Hills. But this much we know. We know Jesus' church will continue to exist and it will be instrumental in God's redemptive plan for the world. Some expression, in other words, of the church will always exist as an outpost of the kingdom of God in this world. Because there's no power, there's no legislation... There's no authority. There is nothing that can snuff out Jesus' church. As he says in Matthew 16:18. not even the power of hell can overcome the church of Jesus Christ. But as the culture continues to shift in various ways, there are unknowns about what the future of the church will be and what it will look like. How will a church be organized in 5, 10, or 15 years? What will meeting together even look like? In that time, what will pastoral leadership and pastoral ministry look like five years from now, ten years from now, fifteen years from now, twenty years from now, today, at least in our context, some of us do this for a living. It may be five, ten, or fifteen years from now. The only way that someone can serve in pastoral ministry is to do pastoring on for a bit and on the other side, have another job. All these things are up in the air. All these things are changing. And at O'Kills, as we think of our own context, there are questions about who is the next batch of people to carry the church forward, to invest, to sacrifice, to care, to serve, and to lead Hills into the future. And there are many other unknowns we could talk about. And we as a church, and I as one of the pastors, want to look far enough ahead so we aren't surprised when the future is the present. We want to be the kind of church that enthusiastically invites God to expand our vision of His kingdom and invites God to speak to us and guide us forward into the future. And I want you to know this. I want to be a pastor who points beyond my time, beyond my leadership, beyond the day when I do this. I want to hold this leadership loosely because Oak Hills is not Mike's church. It belongs literally to Jesus. And he has a plan for her. And his plan extends way beyond me. And I want to be the kind of pastor who makes room for new voices and new leadership who can creatively and imaginatively navigate the cultural chaos and help us be the church in the midst of the cultural chaos. Now, be clear, I'm not going anywhere. At least I don't think I am. This is not a fancy setup to announce a resignation. And I don't think there's an imminent termination. could be wrong, but I don't think so. But the the best time to think about and prepare for the future is before it is on top of us. And I don't ever want us to be the kind of church that tolerates at all the defensive attitude that goes something like this. Well, we've never done it that way before. I would hope phrases like that would take on the flavor of curse words in our congregation. Churches get infected with this, as you know. And they become contaminated by it. And they lose their pliability. And they lose their flexibility. And this hardening happens. And whatever good soil may have been there at some point becomes a hard path. And the power of the kingdom starts to fade in that congregation. I don't want us to be that kind of place. I don't want us to be the kind of church where those of us who are older roll their eyes at energetic and visionary younger people who have different ideas about how to do church and be the church. Think of it this way. We've spent 18 and a half years prioritizing spiritual formation in Christ-likeness, individually and as a church community, and talking about the future, thinking about... What is next is an excellent way to evaluate our spiritual formation, both individually and as a community, and see if we are actually formed in Christ as much as we have talked about formation in Christ. Talking about the future digs at things that will help us see are we as formed as we have claimed to be. And to help us keep thinking about the big picture, I want to raise a simple question related to the past, present, and future of Oak Hills Church. And the question is, why? Why do we exist? Why do we occupy this corner in Folsom? What are we ultimately about, ultimately trying to accomplish as a faith community? Why is Oak Hills here? And the answer is woven into the story Stephanie read earlier. It's summarized in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. I'll read it again to you. Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary Magdalena, Joanna, the wife of the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. It's a stunning picture. May not sound like much, but it's a stunning picture. Jesus traveled with his community of friends, women and men, high class and low class, poor and rich, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and manifesting its power. And in really simple terms... This answers the why question. Oak Hills exists to gather a community of Jesus' friends and proclaim the good news of His kingdom and manifest its power. Proclaim and manifest. And so the role of Oak Hills in individual lives and in this town is to constantly and creatively announce and proclaim the good news of the availability of the kingdom of God. His reign is available. His presence is near. And life and marriage and family and relationships and past pain and present insecurity and suffering and the future can all be transformed by his power if we cooperate with His Spirit, and that is why Oak Hills Church exists. And every single person in this room, or every single person in your life, at your workplace, people you hang out with, people in your neighborhood, every single person is looking for this, looking for God, and looking to experience His kingdom, whether they realize it or not, Because the kingdom of God is reality. That's exactly what Stephanie was pointing at. The kingdom is ultimate reality. And I realize in saying this, I'm bumping into all sorts of defenses. We've all got built into our minds and hearts. The kingdom of God is reality. The kingdom of God is ultimate reality. It is the essence of reality. The way of the kingdom is the way things are supposed to be. It is how human beings were designed to live. And so the kingdom sets forth values and principles that govern a life so that it is ultimately good and flourishing and the way it was intended to be. So Oak exist to proclaim the reality of the kingdom of God and embody, incarnate, and manifest the reality of the kingdom of God through our life together in our relationships, at the communion table, through the reconciliation of friendships and marriages and families, through the practice of love, through serving those who are forgotten and marginalized, and in a hundred other ways. Our mission is actually written in rather beautiful lettering over the water fountain out in the lobby next to the coffee bar. It says Oak Hills exists to invite people to experience the reality of life in the kingdom of God. New life right now in relationship with Jesus under his leadership. One word, reality. Oak Hills exists to invite people back into reality. So the thing for us to grapple with and wrestle with and think through and talk through During this six week period is this Does this purpose of proclaiming and manifesting the kingdom of God Warrant the sacrifice of time and energy and money and service That we're going to be talking about over the next six weeks Does the proclamation of the kingdom of God in word And through our relationships and interactions and life together Warrant the sacrifice Is it really that big of a deal? Does it really matter? Or are we and am I just hyping this up so we can pay off some debt and feel good about ourselves? We have to all come to terms with this in some fashion or form. We have to think this through as individuals and more importantly as families and as a community. And these six weeks are a good time for us to do this, to wrestle with these things and invite the Spirit to help us sort them out. Luke 8 says Jesus traveled around from town to town, and every one of the towns he traveled to was under Roman occupation. The Roman military was visible in these towns as a sign of who was ultimately in charge. And Jesus moved in and out of these towns with the Roman military all around, and He talked with ordinary people. He talked with everyday people. He talked to the rich. He talked to the poor. He interacted with the healthy. He interacted with the sick. He interacted with women, and He interacted with men. And He talked about the kingdom of God. He announced that there was a new kind of life available Under his reign and leadership, there was a new way of seeing and a new way of hearing, a new set of values and principles that turned the world on its head. The things valued in society were turned upside down by the kingdom and in the kingdom. And in the kingdom, upside down was now right side up. So the way of the kingdom was the way of truth, the way things were supposed to be. All the stuff of Roman occupied society and of a religiously oppressed society was confronted and upended by the principles and by the values of the kingdom of God. It announced a goodness, a flourishing, a shalom, unimaginable to most people in the first century Jesus was talking to. And power accompanied the proclamation of the kingdom. People were healed of evil spirits. They were healed of status distinctions. They were healed of oppression. They were healed of disease. They were healed of greed. They were healed of self-absorption. They were healed of addiction, of power, of control, of anxiety, of fear, of anger. And perhaps most of all, they were healed of their small vision of God and their small vision of life. And it was kingdom power through the person of Jesus that brought this healing. Lives were actually changed. Fishermen became apostles. The greedy became generous. The legalistic became gracious. And the judgmental became merciful. But the Romans were still in charge. The military signs were all around them. There was still oppression. There was still struggle. Interesting verse, Luke 8, 4. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. And the parable he told is about a farmer who scatters seed. And it could very well be a scene Jesus watched play out in the countryside as he wandered from town to town. And one day perhaps saw a farmer meandering through the path that cut through his fields. And as he walked, He scattered seed, and some of the seed fell on a hard path, and some fell on rocky ground, and some fell amongst the thorns, and some fell on good soil. But 75% of the seed that was scattered did not take root. It did not accomplish what it was intended to accomplish. It did not produce a crop at all. And Jesus was becoming a popular guy when he told this story. He had something to say, and larger and larger crowds, Luke tells us, We're starting to follow him. Interesting of Jesus to do this. He turns and he tells them the story of the farmer scattering seed. And what he's saying to these crowds through this story, however we might want to soften this up, is 75% of you don't really want what I'm talking about. You think you do, but you don't really want this. But here's what I find amazing about this parable. Luke 8, 8, Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, and it yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. See, that's the power of the kingdom. It accomplishes more than is asked or imagined. And I've got to tell you, it's not easy to believe this in light of today's world. Do you find this easy? That as the kingdom of God takes root, it brings forth this amazing multiplied crop. I got to tell you, after 28 years doing pastoral work, I'm just being straight with you. Stephanie said we're authentic, so I'll be authentic. But after 28 years of this, it's hard to believe, hard to hang on to this idea that the kingdom brings forth this multitude of crop that is incommensurate with the sacrifice and service that went into sowing the seed. And yet, Jesus is saying that the harvest of the kingdom is greater by far than the sacrifice required to scatter the seeds. Because the kingdom is infused with power from God beyond our comprehension. And so the results of the kingdom are incommensurate with the efforts and the sacrifices made. In the kingdom, in other words, things happen. They happen underground, they happen in secret, they happen at night they happen slowly but goodness grows exponentially and then luke 8:15 the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word retain it and by persevering produce a crop so jesus entered the first century Proclaiming the reality of the kingdom of God to those who suffered and were oppressed and whose lives were not what they wanted them to be And the question I hope each of us considers over these next six weeks goes something like this Oak Hills exist to proclaim the reality of the kingdom of God in today's culture question Does kingdom proclamation still matter? Does it matter? That we gather to worship Jesus and proclaim his word And hear his word so we can go forth into this culture, proclaiming and incarnating his good news. And I want to suggest to you, admitting my bias, that it matters more than anything. Here's my thought on this. Most of us live in a suburban cultural context where need and hurt and pain and sadness and loneliness hide behind wealth and income, and cheap imitations of the good life, where many have the means to fix personal problems and medicate their disappointments. In suburbia, people are able to look okay even when they aren't okay. And this makes ministry in suburbia different than ministry in the slums or ministry in the inner city. The needs of those around us are often hiding behind an exterior that seems okay and looks okay, but really isn't okay. And it takes prayer and discernment and hard work to unearth the ache behind the smile. It takes spirit-given eyes and ears to see and hear the hurt and sadness and pain and loneliness lurking behind the success and abundance and the point is the kingdom of god is reality so we are in the business of proclaiming reality to snap ourselves and others out of suburban hypnosis where things that are not real and things that really don't matter replace priorities that are real And things that really do matter. I'll speak for myself. I have food to eat, cars to drive, a nice house, a good job, two dogs, a warm place to sleep, clothes to wear, health insurance, money to spend, the the ability to go out to dinner and on vacation, a beautiful family. I live in relative safety and comfort. I have a retirement account. Most of my needs are satisfied. Many of my wants are satisfied as well. And all of this is good. I receive it as God's blessing. I'm glad I live here. I love this community. I love the people of this community. But this abundance I experience is a swinging gold watch and it hypnotizes me into a suburban trance from which I need to be awakened on a regular basis so that I remember ah, the kingdom of God is ultimate reality. I remember that my life is not about my comfort or safety or retirement. I remember my life is actually not my own to dispense with however I want to. Because I am, so I claim, a disciple of Jesus. So I have a calling to live and serve and give and sacrifice for Jesus and his purposes wherever I am and whatever I am doing. Suburbanites are good at hiding pain and loneliness, but here's the thing. The people in this community need to hear about and see the reality of the kingdom of God, and that is your calling. And that is my calling. And that is our calling. And that's why we sit on this corner. The Big C Church and this local expression we call O'Kills is commissioned by Jesus to be His voice and His presence in this community and proclaim in words and with actions the reality of His kingdom. And I just think, biased as I am, That really, really matters, especially in light of the cultural context in which we live. Now, many of you know, or at least some of you do, that a major part of this next series that we are starting today is that we are launching a two-year giving campaign, the goal of which is to pay off our remaining debt of $1.56 million. And since the year-end offering... That 1.56 million dollars is now, or will soon be, 1.44 million dollars. Now you received the brochure when you came in. I would suggest you take that out. Most of what I'm gonna say is in there somewhere. The number in your brochure I believe is 1.4 million, but you get the point. We're at 1.56 our year end offering was 132.5 we gave 10% away so about 120 will go against that 1.56 bringing that to about 1.44 million we don't know what the future of oak hills will look like the future is foggy but we believe the church matters and always will matter And whatever the church of the future looks like, it will be better equipped to fulfill its mission of proclaiming the kingdom if it doesn't have to spend nearly $200,000 a year servicing this last remaining bit of debt we have as a church. So we're going to spend the next several weeks of this series talking about our journey together as a congregation, thinking about the future, and part of that will be thinking about sacrificing together to pay off this debt once and for all. And then on March 3rd, we will have a one-service celebration Sunday. You'll have a chance to fill out a pledge card and make a two-year commitment. We'll celebrate whatever comes in and move on. So again, if you have your brochure handy, I want to talk through some of this. I'm not going to reference, occasionally I'll reference uh, what I'm saying with where it is in the brochure. Some of what is in the part about why we're doing this. I've already addressed this. We're hoping that this whole experience will be an experience with God, that these next six weeks, personally, as families, as small groups, and as a congregation, that we will encounter the presence of God in this. This giving campaign effectively begins today. As I mentioned, commitment cards will be handed out later on in the series. You don't have them yet. They'll be received on our one service Sunday on March 3rd. It's a two-year pledge we're going to ask people to make that will run from March of 2019 until March of uh, 2021. So there's some slides I want to draw your attention to that kind of give you a sense of the numbers we're looking at and what we're trying to do. So this is the timeline of this next giving campaign. We rolled this out at the annual meeting in November. We had our year-end offering in December. We're starting off with this new series here in January, the pledge Sunday will be March 3rd. And then the mid-year offering and year-end offering in 2019 and in 2020 will all be going toward this debt. You can go to the next slide. So you see those year-end offerings and mid-year offerings, and then the campaign will conclude in March of 2021. So if you go to the next slide, just a bit of a history. Back in 2014, our quote-unquote small loan was $800,000. We paid $6,100 a month to the tune of $73,000, almost 74. A year was going out the door to service that small loan. And through the giving campaign we did back then, and then through a mid-year offering we received and a year-end offering we received, that $800,000 is now zero. So in very recent history, we've demonstrated an extraordinary capacity to attack debt and get rid of it. So that's a little bit of a, a motivation, though not quite as substantial as what we're dealing with now. Our large loan as of right now is about $1.565 million. We pay approximately, given the interest rate, $16,300 a month, which comes out to almost $200,000 a year that is being paid to service the debt. Now, I mentioned... That 1565 is reduced by 120 or so, or will be, so it's actually more like 144. So, if you go to the next slide, this is the stunning thing. The interest versus principal on that 16,3 about 42% of that payment is interest only, about $7,000 a month, about $84,000 a year that's going out the door to service that debt. And if you don't know why, we're doing this campaign. One of the reasons why is because of those numbers and the desire to be faithful stewards, the desire to be able to get ready for the future before the future is here. And we think it's a good idea, no matter what the church will look like or be like, that it not have any debt when the future finally arrives. So when we think about this giving campaign, this is an over and above giving. And I recognize that we're talking money now and Perhaps some of you are going, yeah, every church does this and all that. And I can't uh, take the time to address all those things. But hang with me here for a second, and we'll be done in a moment, and the pain will end. But this is an over and above uh, giving campaign. This means it is in addition to. And we say this all the time, and I I know it may seem like a broken record, but uh, I want to just discourage any idea of, I'll just redirect what I give to the general fund and give it to the giving campaign. And the reason why that doesn't help is because all that does is pull the general fund down and then we're scrambling to try and how to make ends meet from week to week and from month to month. So I want to encourage you that this is an over and above campaign in addition to, in other words, what we regularly give. And related to this, and this is the elephant in the room, is the issue of the economy. And in particular, the fears that some may have about the economy and how it's impacting stocks and retirement and so on. And those things all have their place, for sure. But this is one of those things where we want to come together as a congregation, and if you'll permit me, we want to remember who we are first. We want to remember where is ultimate reality. We are followers of Christ. We are citizens of his kingdom. We are eternal beings with a glorious future. In God's universe. And so we want to sacrificially give. Now, part of this is there's a personal debt thing, credit cards, whatever, that we hope gets stirred up over the next few weeks to get us all thinking about the other places where we have debt and what we might be able to do to eradicate that debt, how we can get on a budget how we can live within our means. So this is a little bit shocking. I can't even believe I'm saying this, but we're going to have a budgeting class on February 12th. This is in your brochure. It's on the middle panel of your brochure. I believe in light blueprint, February 12th from seven to 8:30 in the family auditorium. We're going to have a budgeting seminar budgeting class, one shot deal. You can sign up. Online or through the app, but the real shocking thing is I'm going to be facilitating the class and I have no idea what I'm going to do other than Julie and I this last uh, last January, January of 2018 had done budgeting for years and I stumbled into this online app and I started using it and she and I started talking about it and so we've used it for a year and it's made a massive difference in our personal finances so this seminar might be about a 45-second seminar. I might just say what I said and then send everybody home because I'm not sure what else to do. But the idea of that is I'm going to talk through kind of what we did and what we use and figure out some way to show that. Uh, but I kind of wanted to do this, uh, sort of, uh, because I, I want to be in this. There's something good about it, and it'll be fun. And, again, uh, there are not going to be handouts. There's going to be fancy PowerPoint stuff. I'm sure you'll be really disappointed. So keep your expectations really low. And then you'll be saying, wow, is he good? So anyway, that's that. One of the questions, how much do you give to a giving campaign that stretches over two years? A great question. Hopefully everybody gives sacrificially and prays that out and sorts that out. Uh, But this is really a matter of discernment. What would God have us sacrifice? How would God invite us to participate in this? And discernment happens best with others rather than, well, God and I are going to work that out. That certainly happens to a degree. I would encourage you to discern what to give with others, in your family for sure, perhaps with your small group, other friends where you're talking, you're praying, you're discussing these things, small groups talking about. So what are you thinking? What's God stirring in other words, being invested in each other's process of discernment and decision-making rather than doing it alone. So if you look in your brochure on the very back page, there's a panel called Leaning Into God. And we've got a couple of opportunities where this idea of discernment can get worked out. And one is what we're calling a discernment vigil. You can see the dates, February 19th through the 22nd. And then on February 23rd, you can see the time, you can see the location in room B2. But this is a process, a discernment process that has been outlined by our spiritual direction team to help individuals, to help families, to help small groups discern what to give. And so the idea is that you sign up online for a spot. It's an hour. There'll be a guide to take you through this. Time to be silent. Time to pray. Time to reflect on what the Spirit might be saying. You can go as a, with your spouse, you can go with your family, children, and parents together, it's conversational, you can go as a small group, or if you want to you can go alone, and simply give an hour or so to discern what's God saying to us about this, where might he be Leading us. And all the sign ups can happen online through the app or through the website. And then you'll notice as well in that same panel, we are going to have, starting this Wednesday, a weekly Wednesday night prayer time. We do uh, our community prayer on the second Wednesday uh, of every month. But for this series, we're going to have a Wednesday night prayer time every week, starting at 6 o'clock in room B201 or room 201 of this building. And the idea of this prayer time is to come together, pray for one another, and ask God's hand to be upon us as we work through this series. So let me move on. You'll see some pictures on the screen. Normally what we do, and we're going to do it again, when we have special offerings or giving campaigns, we give 10% of whatever comes in away. We give it to a ministry outside the church. And when it came to this one, there was some pause that I felt over the fact that this is a debt reduction campaign and we're giving 10% away. It would be nice to give 10% away to, for example, another church within our conference who maybe has a mortgage, smaller church, that our 10% would pay off for them. Something like that. To try to find a 10% giveaway, in other words, that was in the stream of what we're doing. Retiring debt and getting our facility debt taken care of so long story short uh with kent's help and with lisa schmidt's help and our conferences help uh, we connected up with a guy his name's joe he's a pastor in philadelphia and a while back joe had this idea this stirring this move of god in him that said something like this i live in one of the most crime-ridden cities in the entire country philadelphia And Germantown is an area in the inner city of Philadelphia, full of drugs, full of crime, full of homelessness, full of all sorts of things. And so Joe took his own personal money and bought this abandoned building or set of buildings that were being used by homeless people just to provide shelter for them. They're run down, as you can see from the pictures. He paid for it with his own money because he had this vision, this stirring, that God wanted to do something in that area. And so he has this idea of a koinas center, which will be a community center where homeless people and other folks in that area will have resources, services, help, classes, um, all sorts of things that can help them get on their feet. And as we navigated around and talked with Kent and talked with Lisa, talked to our conference, we decided let's take 10% of whatever comes in in this giving campaign and help them renovate that place so they can get it up and running. And so our mission of living uh, coordinator, Emily, talked with Pastor Joe this week. And uh, I can't tell you how juiced up he is about this idea. He's going to be here in late February for another engagement, and we're going to have him come and and come up here and share exactly what they're doing and how our uh, 10% can help them move along that way. So that's an exciting connection as well. Have one other thing to mention that is along these lines. We're really trying to be aggressive at attacking this debt and getting rid of it. Long story short, it came to us just a couple of weeks ago the possibility of refinancing that $1.56 million loan uh, and refinancing it now, getting a more favorable rate, a more favorable term, which would allow more of our monthly payment to go to principal. And so our current interest rate, for those of you who are into this sort of thing, we currently pay 4.91% on that million and a half. We've now entered into, hopefully Tuesday, we'll sign all the papers and it'll be good to go. We've entered into a new loan with a new bank where our rate in the first year will drop to 2.49%. And so we're going to keep our payment at the same. And every little extra bit of it will go to principal uh, so that we can uh, pay down principal, which means the more we can bring forth in the first year and pay toward that, Uh, Big number the less we have to refinance in the second through the tenth year and that rate is four point six five percent Which is still lower than what we're paying now, but we want to get paid down as much as possible So I don't know why I'm excited about this, but this kind of thing It's the old accountant in me that gets a little jacked up about this, but the more we bring in the first year The more we can pay down, the less we have to refinance, and the quicker we can get out of debt. And there are some numbers rolling in. We're not dead sure on it yet, but there's some numbers rolling in. Things like this. We'll say $45,000 just because we're refinancing in interest payments. The chance of us actually accomplishing this is really, really legitimate. Meaning this. If we bring in about $100,000 more than we did for that to the modulars and beyond thing, the combination of that 900 grand plus lower interest rates plus the year-end offering plus the principal amounts that are going to be going to pay down the loan, we can legitimately have this thing paid off in about two years, and we would be debt-free. So there's a lot going on with that. Last thing, and then we'll be done, is this idea of daily prayer. Again, it's in your uh, folder. It's in your brochure. It's on the last page in the Leaning Into God panel. And that is this idea of three times every day we want to invite you to be mindfully praying for yourself, for God's discernment, uh, for what He's up to in your life, and for the church as we go through this process. 7 a.m., noon, and 7 p.m. This doesn't mean... Peel off the road. It certainly doesn't mean close your eyes while you're driving your car. It doesn't necessarily mean peel off the road and stop. It just simply means mindful. Pray for my church. Pray for this process. Pray for my family that will hear God's voice. Pray that new ideas and new opportunities will emerge as we continue to go forward. And to kind of help with that, in the back of the room, there are... Uh, Three tables there are baskets on those tables and there are bracelets in those baskets that you can grab There's some children's sizes and adult sizes The idea of the bracelet is that those three things on the bottom trusting deep dreaming bold serving wide We'll talk about that another time. We don't have time today, but we'll talk about that another time That's what's on those bracelets to trigger. How can I trust God deeply? What sort of dream has he given me? in terms of my life, my calling, my ministry, and how can we as a congregation continue to find creative and imaginative ways to serve the purposes of His kingdom in this town. But that would be your trigger on your bracelet. There's also a wallet card there on that table that has that next logo on it, and there's one reason for having that. I'd like you to put that in front of your ATM card or credit card. (laughs) Only to say this, Just to say, okay, that's right. We're thinking about finances. We're thinking about living within our means. And I'm sure the pause will be sufficient to do its work. And then there's one other thing back there. There's a family discussion guide. It would be a grave mistake to think that what we're encouraging is that adults figure this out and tell their kids, no, we can't go to McDonald's because we're doing this thing at our church. The encouragement is, intergenerational families together children are in on this they're in the conversation and there's a sheet back there that's got a discussion guide for families to help these conversations uh, as we go throughout this series i assure you that this series is not about money and i assure you that this series will at times talk about money it's not about money but we are going to talk about it and we're going to talk about where we're heading together as a church, so I'm looking forward to it. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you've done in the history of Oak Hills, And we take this foggy and fuzzy future and we hold it up to you as our offering, as our sacrifice. We simply do not want to be a church that clutches so tightly that we choke the life right out of this congregation and of this church. This is your church and we pray for you in these six weeks and beyond to be speaking new life, new words, to be giving new ideas, to be raising up new leaders, to be stirring up vision and passion and give us ears that can hear that and courageous hearts that will follow it. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for being here. And as you leave, may the peace of Christ be with you all. Thanks for coming.